Hello. Wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'm Hari Arakli and this is today's tech briefing. In today's program, uh and what we provide as a solution uh to either a manufacturer or a system integrator deploying automation for manufacturing companies is a visual robot arm uh that can be effectively and quite easily trained uh for any object of any geometry. That's after these headlines. India is discussing a plan to create what are called power islanding systems in several cities to protect critical infrastructure from potential attacks on the electricity grid power minister rajkumar singh said according to a bloomberg report islanding systems can have their own generation capacity and can isolate automatically from the main grid in the event of an outage bangalore india's tech capital and jamnagar which has two of india's largest oil refineries are among cities being assessed for an islanding system singh told lawmakers in parliament on thursday existing systems in cities such as new delhi and mumbai are being revamped he said the plan follows a major power outage in india's financial hub mumbai last year that brought the city to a halt and prompted speculation about a cyber attack the year before the country's nuclear power The year before the country's nuclear power agency reported computer systems at one of its generation plants had been attacked by malware according to the Bloomberg report. Google has announced a new and more detailed timeline for implementing its privacy sandbox which includes Flock and Fledge tech site Thorot reports. The privacy sandbox proposals are in various stages of development the sandbox website notes. This timeline reflects when we expect new technologies will be ready to support key use cases so that Chrome can res- responsibly phase out third party cookies. Information may change and will be updated monthly according to Google. As of now, Flock, which stands for Federated Learning of Cohorts, and Fledge, which is first locally executed decision over groups experiment, will be ready for adoption by the third quarter of 2022 calendar year. Google says and it has established a two stage transition period for implementation that starts in Q4 of 2022 and the second stage of the transition period will begin in Q3 of 2023 Facebook has launched its cloud gaming service on iPhones and iPads through a web app The Verge reports Facebook's cloud games are currently available in the US, Canada and Mexico and will reach western and central europe by early 2022 the site will let you play simple web games like solitaire and match 3s and stream more graphically intensive titles like racing games according to the verge over 1.5 million people are playing cloud streamed games on facebook gaming each month infoedge which controls nokri.com and is an investor in zomato has acquired hr technology startup do select for 21 crore rupees according to a statement released on friday economic times reported the acquisition will further strengthen infoedge as a leader in the recruitment sector with a sharp focus on tech based end to end hiring solutions the company said in the statement co-founded by elias shirol and rohit agrawal in 2015 do select deploys an assessment platform that enables data driven decisions in hiring skilling upskilling and employee engagement according to ET robotic arms might have represented an important step towards factory automation but even today their functionality is quite limited uh, 
it is very difficult to get the same off-the-shelf robotic arms to perform different kinds of functions for different products quickly with easy reprogramming. That's the problem that Nikhil Ramaswamy and Gokul NA are trying to solve with their computer vision based camera module at Sindler, short for Cybernetic Laboratories in Bangalore. I spoke to the co-founders about how their technology could enable what they called dynamic manipulation of robotic arms. Here's more from that conversation. Nikhil, uh, Gokul, uh, thank you so much for making time for this. Welcome to this podcast. of course, I had a chance to talk to you all uh, in December, I think November, December last year. And uh, so I know a bit about uh, uh, your work trying to build a, a computer vision based uh, module that will guide robotic arms. At least that's how I understand it, basically. Um, for folks who are uh, not very familiar with uh, uh, your work at Singler, uh, if you could start with uh, telling us uh, how you started this company, what was the problem you identified, uh, the opportunity that presented itself over there, and then I'll have some follow-on questions. Sure. Thanks, Ari. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you, and thanks for having us over again. Uh, just brief background, uh, Gokul and I uh, go a long way, about uh, a decade of work together. We started our careers after graduating uh, from electronics and instrumentation discipline. Uh, and we started our careers at National Instruments, which is an American test measurement and automation company. Uh, at NI, we spent about four years, uh, both of us took complementing roles. I ended up becoming a sales professional. Kokul uh, specialized in machine vision, and that's where our genesis towards identifying the specific problem that we're working on uh, really originated. And uh, at NIV, we identified certain glaring gaps in the technology with respect to machine vision, in the sense that machine vision was not uh, very easy to deploy when it, came to, uh, when it came to robotic applications or applications where vision had to dynamically guide a robot to go manipulate objects uh, from random orientations or from cluttered orientations. So today, deploying a robot is notoriously difficult uh, because a robot can inherently not see and because it cannot see uh, your objects that the robot needs to handle, needs to be already in a very precise manner. And there's a lot of infrastructure that goes behind the scenes uh, that is not very evident. Uh, it takes uh, anywhere between nine to 15 months to really deploy a robot because these infrastructure has had to be put together. Uh, and uh, machine vision uh, globally was uh, pretty elusive to solve this problem. So we worked on a few uh, core innovations with respect to vision for dynamic manipulation. And we've been uh, working on this uh, close to a decade right now uh, from a research point of view, uh, heavily inspired by the way the human vision and the neurology behind the human vision works. And we're building both hardware and software that eventually allows these robots to learn objects more or less like how humans learn and be able to learn how to manipulate these objects, even if these objects are in cluttered environments. Uh, if Google has anything to add, I'll... Uh... So one uh, key uh, thing that we have to notice is uh, uh, that what inspired us to look at it. So on one aspect, the application of uh, vision in its ability to make the robots to be aware of the objects have been lacking. Then uh, if you ask the question of why exactly is it lacking, uh, then that revealed a particular portion wherever we were successful with the currently available computer vision associated algorithms, uh, we were successful at identification of the objects. But the moment you'll have to use vision to manipulate the objects, the moment you need a system to go touch an object 
uh, move an object or rotate to your will and then observe an object that's where the lap in the technology was and the problem was that uh, we were always approaching vision from a point of view of a technology that adds on top of manipulation i have an already a manipulation technology and i'm just adding on top of it right but uh, uh, what we realized is that that approach of just adding identification on top of manipulation would solve this uh, wasn't working and we need to look at this from an entirely different perspective or a paradigm shift where we look at this uh, manipulation as a problem or vision assisted manipulation uh, to originate from manipulation itself you have to turn an object to even understand what an object is visually right so that ability for a vision system without knowing what an object is to go and touch an object and then uh, move an object and then operate on an object was the key aspect that was missing and that's what we realized and then we started building on those uh, uh, layers uh, so uh, and that's the differentiation that we were carrying forward and we were researching on the past 10 years so yeah mm. the point i wanted to add mm. uh, you mentioned uh, uh, the term dynamic manipulation uh, can you explain that a bit right uh, so uh, today if you look at the way uh, robotic arms or any technology for the case uh, in automation how it's being deployed uh, is that we program uh, a sequence let's say i want to pick a bottle and i want to keep it in from location a and then move to the location b right most of the automation entirely is about moving something from one location to another location except the way we uh, kind of uh, approach about automating the task is that we we kind of pre construct the whole uh, uh, sequence we observe human beings observe they construct and then break it down into several small movements and we simulate them by programming them manually right but the moment you have done that whole system and then you have deployed that uh, 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 that code or that uh, that automation it never changes itself right so let's say in a conveyor conveyor line if a bottle is been presented to a robotic arm the robotic arm comes to that location i have trained it to go to location a uh, move the gripper close and then uh, move the robotic arm to location b and then release the gripper the assumption is that the object was always there and uh, if i close the gripper some of the object got stuck to the gripper and then i move to the location b and then release the gripper the some of the object got released right so this is the assumption with which the codes are written and that's what it keeps repeating with but practically what happens is sometimes the object never presents itself in that same exact orientation that you expected it might be slightly tilted it might be slightly disoriented might have been moved to a multiple different positions right even for these small variations you don't have a technology today that can understand this in a very generic way in certain cases we are able to customize and then solve that but in a generic way it becomes very hard now this when it is structured imagine giving a bin where nothing is constructed you have just put a lot of parts inside right and uh, the system is somehow supposed to figure out that in all this random orientation where to go grab them how to grab them how to rotate them and then place them because we cannot precode any of these scenarios we don't know how the object is going to come and so, such way we don't we are not able to write an intelligence that is uh, pre programmed or pre conceived right the system is supposed to dynamically understand how the scenario is and then to be able to compute the whole scene and then say hey this is how i'm going to move my hand If I grab it this way, the object will get stuck to my hand. I release it this way, the object will come to the expected orientation. So this ability of making the robot come to be able to go pick in any random orientation and then place it 
is what we call it as dynamic manipulation hmm. and if uh, you succeed in uh, uh, equipping robotic arms to become uh, you know capable of dynamic manipulation uh, what is the benefit that you get out of that sure uh, so uh, so we're looking at it from uh, two uh, points of view uh, one is is already an existing robot arm market or solutions market uh, about a 50 billion dollar global robotic arm industry uh, the industry today uh, is such that every single deployment of robotic arm needs to be customized specifically for an object for a task right so uh, typically the statistics is that if uh, the cost of a robotic arm is x you end up having to spend 2 to 3x that amount on the customization around that robotic arm just to make that robotic arm work for a specific object and this customization uh, is hardware in nature it involves integration of a disparate set of technologies that need to be selected specifically for that object by having the dynamic manipulation ability uh, vision guided manipulation what you can uh, end up doing is have a universal hardware platform uh, from any kind of object any kind of task and you're only a software training away uh, from repurposing your robot uh, for for different applications so uh, you end up dramatically reducing the time it takes uh, to deploy robots and the complexity it takes to deploy robots even in existing scenarios what you also end up doing uh, is you open up a larger market uh, of opportunities uh, which are today considered to be too hard for robots to handle or almost impossible for robots to handle and surprisingly they are very simplistic tasks for human beings that are too hard for robots today right for example uh, if you go to a car plant today uh, you would see a lot of people working on the shop floor and most of them are picking orienting and placing objects uh, from random orientations to desired orientations the very activity of just picking bolts uh, and reorienting these bolts and placing them in the screw holes uh, such that the first two threads don't slip is something that robots cannot do really well today right the tightening or the torquing of the bolt is already automated because that requires certain level of precision uh, but then really picking and placing of these bolts especially if these bolts are in different planar orientations uh, requires dynamic manipulation requires oriented placement and uh, understanding of where the objects are and that's something that globally uh, is done manually today even the most automated most advanced auto car manufacturers uh, would use people to do these tasks uh, so the second primary uh, uh, benefit for the customer uh, is to look at areas that are previously considered to be not automatable and start deploying robots at scale for the same so uh, these are the two uh, primary angles with which we believe dynamic manipulation for robots Uh, would have a disruptive effect, and that's something that the industry has been waiting for a while as well. In fact, uh, insiders in the ro- uh, robotics world, uh, in fact, term it the holy grail of robotics. Just has been elusive uh, from a technical standpoint, and uh, we believe we have the uh, recipe uh, uh, to succeed in this space. Uh, just to add one more point along uh, to this, to understand how it would benefit people, is that uh, today. Uh, no robot goes as a standard system uh, what do i mean by standard system so whether i am planning to use netflix or whether i am planning to use uh, uh, you know i am planning to code or whether i am planning to play games i buy the same laptop right uh, we don't have that kind of generalization that happens uh, when it comes to automation especially robot automation right well the robot might be a generic hardware but the whole ecosystem that has been deployed around to ensure that the robotic arm works is completely customized 
Now, if that's okay, if it is just ten percent of the total uh, uh, problem that they solve, but actually only thirty percent of the cost goes to the robotic arm. Remaining seventy percent is all about this customization, right? And this does not allow replication of the same uh, automation to scale to different different problems. Every problem there needs to be there seems to be an engineer who is needed to understand the whole problem and design a solution from scratch for that specific uh, automation task. So that generalization would happen if the robot can be dynamic uh, in its nature uh, while it is trying to operate the, uh, uh, on the object. So however the object is being presented, if it is able to adapt to it and then and then operate on the object, then a lot of this engineering, custom engineering, which is done just to present that object is removed. So in that case, you can make the uh, automation much more simpler, and uh, it also allows customers to not having to know whether the auto automation would work or not before they kind of go uh, attempting the automation. They can say that oh, I can buy this robotic arm, I can attempt this automation. If it doesn't work, I know that I can use it for something else, right? So that ability to uh, scale in their uh, automation much more quickly is something this would bring and generalize the automation. As a as an activity, uh, that's that's what we envision that uh, uh, the dynamic manipulation for robotic arms would bring, and that's exactly why it's also called as uh, holy grail of robotics. And the and one more part that would also add is how a line can become more adjusting to dynamic demand shifts, right? That uh, today a customer might be manufacturing, let's say, a part called connecting rod. Or, or let's say some simple component for the automotive, he might be manufacturing for Toyota. He will also be manufacturing for uh, let's say uh, Maruti, right? In one month, Maruti says, "Hey, I don't want fifty thousand parts. Can you just do only thirty thousand parts?" Whereas Toyota says, "Hey, I want seventy thousand parts instead of fifty thousand parts." Could he then reuse the repurpose the Maruti line to manufacture the Toyota parts? Right? Today it's infeasible because everything is built only for the part of Maruti. Whereas, uh, if a dynamic manipulation is there, then he can just also make that I can reduce the Maruti's uh, fifty thousand to thirty thousand, and also that uh, infuse the parts of uh, Toyota to be manufactured with the same line. Right. So this is the ability that we can imagine that this will add further to the uh, uh, the ability of manufacturing today to make the manufacturing also more dynamic to adapt to different different variations and different asks of the customer. Hmm. Uh, so tell us about your uh, main product uh, through which you are uh, looking to achieve this. Sure. So uh, through about a, a decade of research uh, in terms of uh, what it takes to solve it from a vision uh, point of view, uh, we came up with a few uh, core innovations uh, at a hardware level uh, as well as at the software ability level. Uh, so our primary product uh, is an enabling technology that sits on top of standard off-the-shelf robotic arms, uh, the likes uh, of which are manufactured uh, by companies like ABB or Fanuc or Yaskawa or Kuka. So our vision product uh, sits on top of these robotic arms uh, and has the ability uh, to learn objects and learn how to manipulate objects. Uh, I'll uh, request Gokul to probably uh, mention a couple of specifics about uh, the the vision platform and how the Eurovision platform uh, is unique in its own respect uh, and how it's been inspired by the human eye. Right. Uh, so just to narrate it uh, uh, in, in, in a way that is relatable, uh, I would just want to first draw the attention to how our current vision technology works and what do we work about, right? 
So often there is a confusion between what sight is and what vision is, right? Just like there is a confusion between listening and hearing, right? A hearing can ensure that you can get the sound, but interpreting the pattern of the sound to say, hey, what was the word that was said and what it should be visualized into is, is what listening is to making meaning of that sound, right? Similarly, I can bring in the light information and I'm able to acquire the light information of the scene. But what we go about immediately uh, processing on is just on the color aspect of it, right? We kind of abstract any object that we see in the scene, right? I'm seeing a variety of things the moment I open my eyes. And I assume that everything I understand only is by color, right? And that's how most of our algorithms are written, right? So I have a 3D camera today with color on top of it. I have several systems of the chart. So what they prominently do is to understand the color of the ob of object and then probably where the object's color is in that location, right? And I go about uh, asking a manipulation system, go touch the color. And I assume that when I touch the color, some of the object will stick and then move, not just the color, right? But there is a lot of information that is lost from what an object carries from what a color when it is transformed only to a color, right? We think that color is the only representation of the object, right? Now, what we are trying to address is that gap in between uh, and how a vision system can go about understanding what would be the weight of the object, uh, what would be the uh, you know, texture of the object, how, what would be the contours that will be bending, what are the contours that will not be bending, how do I understand all those features of an object just through collecting the color, how do I associate this information. And for a system to automatically learn that, there seems to be a lot more faculty uh, of uh, visual faculty even that is needed. Where one of the few things uh, that I want to quote, uh, which would uh, which would, can be an highlight and representation, is that in typically when we look at autofocus, right, we understand autofocus only as an actuation, only as an end effect to to get a clear picture, right? It's mostly seen from oh, how do I adjust my lens and adjust my focus in such a way that I get a non-blurred image or only focus on whatever the object that I need. But actually, the way our eye uses autofocus is not to just to get a clear picture. In fact, it uses as a sensor to sense depth, a preliminary depth that actually it constructs, right? Kind of accelerates the way we construct the depth. And it might be an approximate depth that the autofocus gives only for a short range. And it's a very approximate depth, but that's what we use uh, in a preliminary construction by which we eliminate a lot of unnecessary area that we are supposed to process, right? So this kind of makes it almost 10x faster in the way we can construct depth and then the and then it uses further faculty like convergence and uh, which is something that is frowned upon uh, in our traditional uh, 3d vision construction right uh, so th those those further layers that come up which is able to uh, distinguish a scenario from uh, from whatever that we see as just a color parameter and uh, the key aspect that we also do is something called as temporal imaging or, or event imaging, right? Um, what do I mean by this? Uh, is that how do we, if I ask a baby and then show a bottle which has three colors and it has a label on top of it, it has a cap on top of it, which is of different color, right? The baby will think that all of these individual colors are all independent parts, but somehow it's able to go grab it and then it's able to understand that they're all belonging to one particular part or all one connected object. So how does a baby go about from knowing that each of these colors has independent objects, then putting them all together, right? It actually uses motion. And the ability to extract that motion is, is the third fundamental layer in our eye. And it has taken almost a billion years of evolution, which is often missed in, uh, we think we collect only color information using our eyes, but we also 
first thing that we do is to collect motion information using our eyes and then we go about constructing color and depth and and further layers right so these are uh, some of i can some uh, window into what we are building and what all what all these layers that seem to be missing for us to go about understanding or making a system automatically learn from a manipulation point of view right so so these are the layers uh, uh, that that are that we feel is essential before we jump into using vision for manipulation and and that's what we are building so so uh, sir yeah so built on top of these fundamental layers of uh, uh, human like vision uh, we build a uh, uh, vision hardware that uh, that sits on top of industrial robotic arms uh, and what we provide as a solution uh, to either a manufacturer or a system integrator deploying automation for manufacturing companies is a visual robot arm uh, that can be effectively and quite easily trained uh, for any object of any geometry uh and eliminates the requirement for structuring of these parts before the robot is able to pick so basically you can just present the part in a bin uh the robot will be able to decipher where the part is what orientation the part is and then be able to dynamically pick that part reorient and place as required by the task so that's the eventual goal of the solution in terms of uh, commercialization of your product uh, at what stage are you at today Right. So uh, uh, we've in fact uh, opened up uh, our technology and doors for certain uh, early access customers. We are currently working uh, with a few uh, auto OEMs and auto component manufacturers, as well as a few other diverse customer use cases uh, uh, for uh, pre-launch uh, proof of concept and pilots uh, that we are currently running uh, in our laboratory. Uh, we will be commercially launching. Uh, the technology early 2022 hmm excellent uh, very insightful conversation uh, nikhil gokul thank you again for making time for this podcast uh, we hope to keep the conversation going it's a pleasure hari yeah absolutely hari it's always a pleasure yeah that was nikhil ramaswamy and gokul and him that's it for this briefing you can find all our podcasts at forbesindia.com or on your favorite podcast apps I'm Hari Arakli. Thank you for listening.